Miss You Day Chicago is a church made of congregations rallying around the singular vision of joining God in the renewal of all things new. If you like what you hear, stay tuned for more information. So if you're, if you're new with us, just I want to catch you up to speed with where we've been. We've been doing a series called Origins, and we're going through the first three chapters of Genesis. And I just want to give you a little overview of where we've been. Um, we said that Genesis is not a life manual. It's not a book that tells you um, that this is exactly how to live. We don't, you know, taking it's we have to take it within its own genre. It's a collection of stories about God. And we have to understand that other cultures had creation narratives and origin narratives. And this is our origin narrative. And we have to read it as such a genre rather than debating science and literal versus figurative and all those things. That's not the intent of this. The intent was not actually Galileo once said the Bible tells how how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. It's not a how this happened book. It's who made us and why are we here? Um, and we also said that it's important to know um, the context. So two slides after after the scripture, we'll get into that in a minute, um, that the context is that the context of the creation story is slavery, uh, that, that this was written in a time that Egypt enslaved the Hebrew people. And all of these narratives of the Egyptian gods, that creation is God, everything at pantheism, there's all these things are gods. We talked a lot about that and how the people of God were trying to remember who they are and that God actually made them out of goodness, not out of violence. Whereas a lot of the creation narratives is about the violent, malicious gods at war with each other, and we are a product of that violence. Um, And so that we have to understand the context. And the emphasis is on a benevolent God who makes order out of non-order. We talked about the days, the seven days of the first three days, he's creating structures. The next three days, he's putting life in the structures. The first three days, he's creating the vase and then the latter three days, he, uh, he's creating uh, the flowers in the vase, right? He's, he's in, and we talked about what does that mean for us to have a life of, 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 of cultivation. Um, and then we talked about uh, that God stoops. Uh, we read this quote from Rachel Held Evans about Genesis 2. Um, next slide. It's a, she says this, From walking with Adam and Eve through the Garden of Eden to traveling with the liberated Hebrew slaves in a pillar of cloud and fire, to sipping into flesh and eating, laughing, suffering, healing, weeping, and dying among us. As part of humanity, the God of Scripture stoops and stoops and stoops and stoops. At the heart of the gospel message is a story of a God who, who stoops to the point of death on a cross, dignified or not, believable or not. Ours is a God perpetually on bended knee, doing everything it takes to convince stubborn and petulant children that they are seen and loved. That's Rachel Held Evans. We talked about just the, the nature of God's intimacy with us and creating us, that he stoops down to know us. And then last week, Cote talked about God is not withholding from us this knowledge of tree of good and evil, that he wants to have a curious relationship with us. He wants us to be curious about him and curious about our neighbors. And today, I want to kind of zoom out of the story because we're soon going to get into Genesis 3. Um, but before we do that, I want to zoom out kind of like 10,000 feet in the air and talk about something that's really important to me that I think is so important for us to understand as Christ followers, and that is this, is, is where and how you begin with the story that you're telling matters deeply. How, where you begin and how you begin the story of God, it really determines the story you're telling and the story you believe. And what, why that's so important for me today 
is indirectly or subtly, I believe, most of the teaching you have probably heard all of your life doesn't begin in the beginning of the story. Most of the stories you're hearing from teachers or preachers doesn't begin in Genesis 1 and 2. It begins in Genesis 3 with the fall. And that has deeply shaped your psyche, your self-worth, your view of yourself, and has deeply shaped you to have shame-based attachments and all these things that we struggle with. And of course, all these other things are into play, environment, how we were raised. But I think one small part of those struggles we have of self-rejection and low self-worth is because we have a narrative of creation. If we're, if we're trying to, re, if they were trying to retell the creation story and course correct a, a poor understanding of how things were begun, began, how do we, how do I now pastorally responsibly help you course correct a narrative story that you've inherited? And I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm here to say today that I'm, I think you've inherited a story that begins in Genesis 3, mostly. And, and so I think this is deeply important. We speak as Christians, whatever, and, and we t- retell this story with our lives or to others. And so, one, this applies to you, but also how do we go about our relationships, our parenting, our, mar- our, our partnerships, um, our business, our, our creating art, our works of justice? It all is impacted deeply by this. Um, and so... A couple of things that I want to just remind us in Genesis. Number one is, is, is in, the, in the beginning, God, uh, God ha, uh, said, fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 1, 26 and 28. So we get the sense that creation is going somewhere, even in the beginning. Creation is moving. There's like this movement and movement, and it's not static. It's dynamic. Um, in Genesis, God, this is a verse we often pass over, but it's like, let the land produce vegetation. Creation is not to be worshipped, but creator endows creation and the endowed, being endowed by the creator to make more of itself. So we don't have a God that's like, I have to do everything. He lets creation, even the vegetation, co-participate and say, I'm going to let you make more of yourself. and I'm going to let you be dynamic and not static. I'm going to let you continue to grow and continue to flourish and this story evolves. T- tomorrow is not like today. Whatever happens tomorrow changes everything about today. And it keeps going and going and going. So creation is going somewhere. There's somewhere it's going. Um, in Genesis 1, 26, 28, it says, fill the earth and subdue it, that we are um, these, sorry, the lights are kind of blinding there. We are cultivating and caretaking. That's our role. We talked about that. And that we live in harmony with creation and creator. Genesis 1 and 2 is this sense of shalom, everything in its right place. Thank you, Radiohead. Um, and uh, I kind of wanted to have this epic moment where I played that song and then I talked and it just was like feeling like really creative. I was like, eh, not, not, no, not going to do it. Um, so, um, but God, this, this word that God said of us is that he blessed all of creation. The word blessed is the word barak or, or uh, to, to, to bless. Um, it, is, it is the speak like God's good intent upon someone or something. And so in Genesis 1, this is really important, soil, sky, spirit are in this um, harmony. Uh, they're, they're united with God's blessing or God's intention. So this is, this is really key. There's not this like spirit over here 
earthy stuff here and it, the spiritual stuff over here, earth and, and, and you know, soil here. It, it isn't the separation. It isn't some spiritual world. Leave this, spirit, this earthy place and go somewhere. That's not where creation's going. It's all blessed. It's all holy. It's all sacred. And this is how the story starts. So I want you to think about, um, there's, so, there, so the second thing is there isn't this out there destination for the spiritual life that we're often taught. Well, we, we just need to, you know, we need to escape this world kind of mentality um, that gets in our psyche from the way the narrative we've received. Um, next slide. So I, I want you to think about everything you love about life right now. I want you to think about the things you love, the people you love. Everything you love can be traced back to Genesis 1 and 2. Everything. We have in Genesis 1 and 2, we have beauty. We have this beautiful narrative of this beautiful garden um, and, and the stars and the sky. And just it's just, it's just teeming with beauty. Uh, making things. How many of you love making something? Like, like just creating something with your hands. Um, relationships and partnership. You know, I think that's pretty obvious. We, we like relationship. We like partnering with someone. Worship. Organizing, right? God's like, name the animals. Like naming. Like <laughs> we love naming things, right? We love coming up with names. Um, my daughter told me that, uh, <laughs> I can't even do this. She's like, I want to give you a list of names. This must be a new like millennial, I mean, Gen Z trend or something. She's like, these are names, baby names, that would be awesome if they didn't mean what they really mean, like felony. I'm like, what? <laughs> so this was like, <laughs> I was like, we are not doing this. So um, naming things, felony. Uh, so, um, so teaming, we love teaming together. Caretaking, that's the whole purpose we're here. We love caretaking. We love taking care of a garden and exploration. So we have this, this garden and don't you love this, these things? Like, don't you love the feeling when you get, like, dirt under your nails? Especially living in the city when you're like, oh, man, I'm getting into a garden. I'm getting, getting my hands dirty, right? Or, or that, that green uh, stain around your shoes after you cut the grass. I know some of you don't have grass, but um, that's a thing where you're just like, oh, yeah, I love that. that, that. Those are my, my grass-stained shoes, and I only wear them. They're set apart wholly, only for grass-cutting. Um, what is it that when you do it, you lose track of time? You're just like, I love this. Actually, and most people, when you ask, when they answer this, I find they're ashamed about what it is. It's usually something really small and simple. Like for me, I have a little, um, little buy, sell, trade side hustle. And one of my favorite things is making a package. I know it's, so it's just like making this package and making it perfect to open an opening experience and just making this it's so simple, but I love it. I discovered, I went to the recycling center. I got all this like artsy paper that I found for free. I found like rolls of vellum, like rolls of vellum. And now I just like carefully put a book with vellum and then this paper, and it's going to be this opening experience. I just, it just, it just brings me so much joy. I don't know if they like it when they get it as much as I like doing it, but what is it for you that you just love doing that might you feel sheepish about or, or even weird about? Um, the story of Genesis starts on earth and it ends on earth. So the, the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and then the book ends with Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, um, get it? 1 and 2. Um, so, but if you, if you took sin out of the Bible, 
you basically got like a pamphlet of like the beginning and the end, right? This, these beautiful, these, these four chapters. Um, but it's interesting when you look at Revelation, this is where when it says creation's going somewhere. It all is connected. It's like all these callbacks in Revelation 21 and 22 to Genesis 1 and 2. So um, it begins in a garden and it ends with a city, which what is a city? It's a bunch of organized gardens. Um, it start, there's mention in Genesis 2 um, about unmined gold, and then it talks about being refi- having refined gold. Humans rule and subdue and fill the earth. And in Revelation 21 and 22, humans are heirs of the earth. There's the tree of life and knowledge of good and evil. In the end, there's the tree of life. Uh, death is mentioned as a possibility. God says, you know, if you, if you eat of this one fruit, which Cote talked about, so we're not going to go all into that. But I do find it curious. What if God's like a parent that's like, this wasn't meant to be a prohibition forever. It was just like, when you're mature enough, you can then eat. Just a thought. Um, death is a possibility. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, no more death. And then all things are blessed in Genesis 1 and 2. And then in Genesis, I mean, Revelation, all things are made new. So we have to make sure we know where the story begins and ends because we often focus in the church with Genesis 3, the, the, the sin word, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Disruption of shalom is another way to think about sin. Um, shalom is wholeness and peace, like I mentioned. And sin is, a way you could see it is, how do I participate in the disruption of shalom? Where do I participate in disrupting shalom in the world, in my neighborhood, in my relationships? With God. And so sin, sure, take, take it, it should be taken seriously, but it has to be put in its right place. P- but it, taking it in the right place of the story, which Jesus, in the right story, does away with the whole death thing. And repentance is no longer this thing. When you have it in its right place and you begin with the story, repentance is no longer this, oh my gosh, like uh, your body doesn't get all like trauma tingles of hearing the word repentance. It's oh, no, 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 God's inviting me to return to my proper place of creation. God's inviting me to return to my proper role within the creation story, to participate, to caretake. He's inviting me to, to back to shalom, is what, what you, when you think of it. So in Genesis 2, um, I'm not going to be able to get into the whole passage because I'm doing a lot of big picture stuff, but just real quick, a couple of neat things in Genesis 2. We didn't read it. But there's this amazing amount of trust when you're a caretaker, um, when you're living into that realm of shalom. God doesn't say a lot, but he's doing a lot with his hands. He's making, he's breathing, he's creating things, he's organizing. He's not talking a lot. I think the only time he speaks is it's not good for you to be alone. Um, and so I think that that is an inherent aspect of trust in our relationship with God that God trusts us to be caretakers. Um, It's hard to trust kids as a parent, but there is a part where God in his ways makes you trust where you're like, I don't have control over that. Like I have to trust. Like I can't, I don't have control. I don't have control of this being. Um, And I think there's a sense where God's like, I don't have control over you. We trust each other. I don't have to talk a lot about giving you direction. There's inherent trust. So I think that should be encouraging you that there's trust in your, God trusts you to caretake for the world and the earth 
and your neighborhood and your friendships. Also, you see a great collaboration of, of, of God and Adam and, um, and how to care uh, and for all things to flourish. But getting ahead of myself. The story is ending with all things new. So we have original creation, new creation. Colossians 1, Paul talks about the reconciling of all things. Um, and then Genesis 3. So if we begin with Genesis 3, I just want to zoom out, okay? I'm trying to set up my framework here, where, what I really want to get into. Now, if the story that you're telling and believing begins in Genesis 3, the central issue is the removal of sin. That is the central issue of your life. How do we remove sin? If the beginning of your story is Genesis 1 and 2, though, the fundamental purpose of humans is not to get rid of sin. It's, it, it's the central problem is the restoration of shalom. How do we restore shalom? How do we res- get back to this restoration of shalom? That is huge. If you're sharing this story, people may not have language for it. The average person listening to the average sermon or teacher is going to pick up a larger story from the bits and pieces of the story. And they will pick up a lot of what's central to the message of a lot of Christian teaching is getting rid of sin. Getting rid of sin is just this emphasis of getting rid of sin. And you smell it and you catch it and you, 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 you're like the fish in the water that doesn't know they're in water, right? Like you're, you're just in this obsession with getting rid of sin. But if you start in Genesis 1 and 2, we're headed somewhere, we're caretakers. If you begin in Genesis 3, you're telling everybody what they are not. You're telling everybody you don't have what it takes. If you begin in Genesis 1, you have everything. <laughs> you have exactly what you need. And you are going somewhere. Um, another thing, in some ways, that focuses on the removal of sin is, I would say, government. Like, so you, you, you can say, okay, well, I'm not religious. Okay, well, politics. It's all like, we're going to, we are the savior that is going to remove the problem from your life. Um, okay, fine, I'm not very government. Consumerism, the market. We are going to help remove, we can keep you from aging. We can, we can keep you from aging. Okay, so, we can, we, so everything is basically focusing on, but if we get back to caretaking, what is back to shalom? It's more of this like citizenship. Uh, I'm trying to put the right words to it, but there's this local citizenship mentality of like, we're going to all care for each other as citizens. And that is, that is we're going to restore shalom by the way we we make sure everyone and everything has what it needs. The garden has what it needs. The, the, the supermarket has what it needs. This neighbor has what it needs. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your sexuality. Like we, you, we make sure everybody has what they need. We're in this together. We're restoring shalom. It's a whole different story. Um, Wendell Berry is really a lot of inspiration behind this talk. He is an agrarian, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like an activist and a poet, an essayist, and a conservationist. Uh, conservationist. Am I saying that word right? Um, so he's all about create, taking care of creation. He says this. Um, I don't think I have it up there. But he says in a book called Christianity and the Survival of Creation, throughout the 500 years since Columbus first landed in the Bahamas, the evangelist has walked beside the conqueror and the merchant 
too often blandly assuming that their causes were the same. So he's saying the, the Christian evangelist was kind of with the conqueror and the merchant, assuming that they're basically like we're all over the same cause, we're after the same cause. And Christian organizations to this day remain largely indifferent to the rape and plunder of the world and of its traditional cultures. So he's saying it's, it's too much to say that most, he says it's too much to say that most Christian organizations are indifferent to industrial economics. Do you see what he's getting at here? He's saying, we haven't really discipled ourselves to think about creation and that we're interdependent on creation. That like, and how does this impact how we live? Let me get, I'll get into that in a minute. Um, Before I get into that, I I do want to say um, another thing that this impacts. If your story begins in Genesis 3, it's all about original sin and how have we participated in that, which sure, it's important. But when you're, your, your beginning point is Genesis 1 and 2. There's this, there's this understanding that you have this original blessing from God. There's this blessing, the original blessing that we forget. Um, and I think for me, like, I grew up in an environment where um, the, the, the emphasis of Christianity was obviously on the rules, right? I grew up in the 80s, okay? That was just the thing. It is the rules. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't. And that can be helpful for kids. Um, but it, when you do that, you have this obsession of right wrong and that's the member genesis 1 and 2 spatial and spiritual were united okay you guys following me is this helpful at all they were united there was no when you have this dualism one problem is dualism of spiritual world is up here earthy stuff is down here this is better so when you when your beginning story is genesis 3 and you're thinking about your vocation and work you're like well, I work in finance, and I work in business. I work with the physical stuff. Another person's like, I'm called to full-time ministry. Mine's better. You know, like, it's this sense of like, well, I, I, must, I really don't have any purpose like working in this business and you know, working with computers and these stuff. Well, like, I should probably leave that and go do something more meaningful. No, no, no. You're working with people with problems. You're working with people with, with pain. And you're meant to be an instrument of healing in their lives. You're meant to bring shalom to that place. So it, if, you, if your story begins in Genesis 1 and 2, there is no sacred, secular divide. When you begin in Genesis 3 and you're a parent, you're thinking, what's the label? What's the, is it, what's, can they watch this? Is it Christian? You know, it, you know, and often the Jesus-y label stuff is way worse than the stuff that doesn't have the Jesus-y label. And then there could be some art or music that sounds way more Jesus-y than the Jesus labeled art. <laughs> it sounds really bad. It sounds really poor. It doesn't really match beauty, creation, all those things that we saw in Genesis 1 and 2. So where you begin deeply matters. But the thing for my life growing up was these rules. And it, it kind of lends into this mentality of blessing and cursing. If you do this, you're blessed. If you do the, don't do this, you're cursed. And we had this, uh, we had this thing we filled out every morning. Um, so I took a photo of it or it's hard to see, but this is the Sunday members report, okay? So you had this, and you, che- you, you, put, you check these off every morning. So imagine coming in here, and you get in your seat, and there's these things on your seat, and, you, and did you go to Sunday school? Check. Um, did you bring your Bible? Check. <laughs> so we all failed. Um, uh, uh, did, you, did you study the lesson beforehand? Uh, are you giving? And then... Did you do daily Bible reading and prayer? And then did you visit anybody? Did you 
go to anybody's house and tell them about Jesus, how many people, and then other contacts. Like, do you have other contacts that you think you would want to do that for later? Okay, this was like, so you, you think I'm crazy. Go, uh, this is the next slide. You can go get these for $4.69 right now at, Christian, at uh, christianbooks.com. <laughs> so this is still a thing. Uh, but what happens, do you, you see like how subtle that one little thing is, that tangible symbol, and what that creates in the psyche of someone over time? Now, you, you probably have a different symbol, but this is my symbol. Maybe you have something else that, rem, that, that reminds you of this. But when you have this emphasis on Genesis 3, you have this emphasis of, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I am a sinner. And I just want to make sure it's loud and clear. The story doesn't begin in Genesis 3. <laughs> just what, the story doesn't begin in Genesis but if you walk away from anything, that's what I want to remind you of. The story doesn't begin in Genesis 3. And when you have that mentality, rather than you know, this obsession with sin, what happens is, is we practice the self-neglect, this sense of self-rejection, and then we actually have a weird cycle of codependency on shame, I think. We, we, we have somebody from the front that tells us we're sinners, and then you feel shamed, and then you repent, and now you've done something to earn God's love because you've said you're sorry. Now God can love you. So now I feel comfortable being loved by God for the rest of the week, and then I, I will come back and get my next hit next week of this cycle of, of weird, like cycle of shame-based attachment to God. If I come back and I feel bad, then I can say I'm sorry, and now I deserve God's love. Do you see that? Where If your story begins in Genesis 1 and 2, you are already blessed, and you are already sacred, and you are already made good, and you have God's breath in you. A major difference in how we live. So, um, self-rejection works because you keep coming back to that cycle of shame. A couple of things I just wanted to end with. So, um, so in Genesis 2... There's this word tov, which means very good. Everything God looks at is good, 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 very, and then very good. The only thing not tov is us being alone. So the sense of creating, cultivating, we can't do it alone. It's always meant to happen in community. God is calling you, sometimes into something new, excuse me, exploratory, and you might feel alone. Like starting this church 10 years ago, felt really alone. But um, over time, we've created a leadership team, and we're like, you're leaders. And it wasn't so much, it was more like I needed, <laughs> I needed to not be the one where all of this was on me. And then, yeah, you need, we needed a team. We needed people to do this, and we took care of the church together. So if you find yourself in isolation or trying to live out your create, caretaking vocation in this season and you feel alone, you, you might need to ask yourself, is this just a season that I feel alone? Like that, like this church planner story, like this is going somewhere. Or is it like, did you subtly stumble into something that has put you in a place where you're just doing it alone? Um, and if you find yourself alone right now, you should pray to who, 
who God is to open your eyes, to like send you people, to send. And God did. He sent us people to start the church. And at the time, I had an imagination of the kind of people that I wanted to help me start the church. And I'm praising God that he didn't send me those people now. But in my naivety and immaturity, I had a certain kind of person I wanted God to send me. But he didn't, and I'm so thankful for it. Um, so the group of people God might send you in your life right now might not be the people you imagined. It, if you open your eyes, um, God might send you people to take care of together or to care, take care of you that you didn't think about. And um, God created us to do this together. And then the last one is, I just want to encourage you with, is, is this. Is, um, so if you're beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, we're caretakers, we're cultivators, creation's going somewhere. There's not a separation between secular and, secular and spirit, spiritual, right? Ask yourself this, does my presence lead to God's creation flourishing? Is my presence right now where I live leading to God's creation flourishing? Is God's creation better off because I am where I am? Are my neighbors better off because I'm their neighbor? Is the air cleaner because I'm living here in the earth? Now, some of this can start to feel a little heavy, and I'm going to get into that, um, or, or burden. It can feel burdensome. Are the schools around me better because I live close to them? That's what we were created for. God created us as image bearers of the living God to bring all of God's creation to flourish. Now, well, you can feel some kind of self-imposed pressure with that. Are you telling me, gosh, I'm already, I can barely breathe. Like, you're telling me creation is supposed to be doing great because of me? Like, that's a lot. Am I suggesting more burden? No. I'm saying living as a, like, creation, um, we are to take care of creation, but creation is to take care of us. And when we, when we live in the city, we can forget about this. Actually, Nick Offerman from... Um, what was that show? Parks and Rec actually has a talk about him reading Wendell Berry and how he lived in the urban environment and like has forgotten his like gardening like instincts that he was raised as a kid and and just the impact of getting back in tune and harmony with creation. Um, it can feel burdening. That those things can feel burdening because we we have gotten comfortable with living out of harmony with creation. We've gotten comfortable living out of, and living this way is to live in harmony with who God created you to be and the God um, restoring you to this vocation. And so it can feel burdensome when we've lived out of that harmony for so long. But God's calling us to live as a blessing. And the world will flourish, but the good news is you'll flourish. Creation will take care of you. You know, we're reminded that we're dependent on creation, right? Like, we can start thinking, okay, this, this shirt, like, did I, was someone making $2 an hour living in horrible conditions when I chose to be, take this shirt or like, or no, you know, like you, it opens up a whole new world when you begin in Genesis 1 and 2. So I digress, getting all into a lot of different things. But my question for you today as we close, Damon, you can come up. Does your presence lead to God's creation flourishing? Um, Wendell Berry talks about looking at the wild animals, and he says they're doing the exact same thing we do. They're, they're raising their children. They're exploring pleasure. They're creating a, a home or a, a domicile. 
they are living in harmony with the creative order. And he says they're doing a much better job at it than I am. And I thought that was just a helpful picture for me of just like, yeah, like we've, we've gotten so caught up in progress and efficiency that we've lost touch with like just being the cultivator and caretaker that God's made us to be. So hope this encourages you and has blessed you. And let's pray. God, I, I, I thank you for this reminder that um, we are blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. And we, we want to align ourselves with the harmony God created for all of creation this morning. What, what had your name on it this morning? Was it just the reminder that you've let this shame-based script dominate your story and, and be the story you tell yourself and others? That we've got to get rid of all the bad people and all the bad things. God, we remind ourselves that you made us, you made creation with such a harmony that we can get back to, to return to shalom. For some, it may be that hard word, a new way of thinking about repentance is returning back to our original goodness, returning back to the garden. God, help us to return to you and to our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Missio Day Lincoln Square. If you'd like to know more about Missio Day Lincoln Square, please reach out to us at lincolnsquare at missiodaychicago.com.